0: Hello, I'm Jeff Bird, the producer of the More Than A Shop podcast. This series was recorded before the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. We felt it would seem odd to release further episodes without acknowledging what's happening in the world and consider delaying or adapting the series. In the end, we decided that this is perhaps the perfect time to consider new ways of doing things, as we all imagine a different future. More Than A Shop covers some of the big topics of the day, before coronavirus came into our lives, but there are issues and topics that aren't going anywhere. We hope More Than A Shop provides some light and inspiration in these difficult times. With that in mind, here's our latest episode. Please enjoy and share.
1: Hello and welcome to More Than A Shop, hosted by me, Elizabeth Holker. We're welcoming guests with something new and radical to say about the big issues of the day. Well, the flavour of the series is a search for new alternative ideas in the spirit of the worldwide cooperative movement, which happens to have started in my hometown of Rochdale. Well, co ops proudly offer radical alternatives to mainstream ways of getting things done. They are indeed so much more than a shop. Well, today we're looking at education, and I'm joined in the studio by two people ready to give their personal take on the issues that really matter when it comes to learning, be it in the classroom, higher education, or later on in life. Would you like to introduce yourselves, please?
2: Uh, my name's Scylla Ross. I'm principal of the Cooperative College in Manchester.
3: Uh, my name's David Scott. I'm a poet, musician, and broadcaster, and a performer under the name Arkid.
1: Wonderful, welcome. Uh, so I'm going to be asking you both uh, later for your big ideas, um, something that will make a difference in education for the better. But before that, can I ask you each for a challenge that you think we're facing right now when it comes to education?
3: Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Okay, uh, so my big challenge is that I do workshops in people referral units, but also uh, young offenders, institutes, community centres and also mainstream schools. Yeah, I of see kids that are in mainstream and you can see the path that they're going to take because they're not into academic subjects so for me uh, what what tends to happen uh, sorry I'm going to get a soapbox earlier on here (laughs) if that's okay what tends to happen in schools if you're no good at maths or science just because of your lack of capabilities because your brain isn't built that way and you're not fit in the the box what happens is the kids tend to misbehave just due to lack of interest or lack of lack of confidence Uh, and this happens time and time again at all the mainstream schools that work at and then because they don't fulfill the quota in terms of GCSE results or whatever at the schools they tend to be pushed by and, and put into these things called pupil referral units. Now I've worked in pupil referral units as well and they are nothing but a glorified prison system for for, for kids because because either behavioural issues but their behavioural issues tend to stem from, I'm not saying all of them do, but they do stem from um, the lack of interest or ability in school and I don't think we're catering to try and offer alternative ways To teach them, you know, and a lot of these kids are are creative, and the the same story all the time is that didn't like school, couldn't get interested into it, and there's got to be another way. It's got to be something that we need to start talking about and looking at.
1: That the system doesn't fit everybody. Yeah,
3: I, I'm, we live in a day and age now. We're all about equality and they we're talking about like gender, race, and you, you, we're not allowed to stereotype people by their sexuality or their colour. But we seem to be stereotyping children as all, all one and the same and that isn't that isn't the case at all.
1: Okay. Uh, Silla, what do you think uh, the biggest challenge we're facing today in education? Well, you've sort of said all the things that I would
2: absolutely utterly agree with because one of the big challenges is getting people to understand that education is different to how they might think it is. But in terms of the sort of everyday work I do, you know, not having the money to participate is a big thing and that puts people off. The lack of confidence people feel about whether it's right for them puts them off. But I think one of the really big things for adult education, you know, as I'm speaking slightly differently from, from you, is time. We live in a society with precarious work, uh, where people are in in work poverty, they're lucky if they've got work, uh, and so on. And people just can't map that time against their other obligations and responsibilities. So to try and create a bit of space, which is for them to think about the things that they need to learn or want to learn, whatever it's for, plus the work they might do in their communities for whatever it's for, is quite difficult,
1: because it always drops down the list. So these are quite large scale problems aren't they a problem with our education system a problem with the way that our society is set up and the way that we live which is to be often pushed for time big problems
3: yeah huge problems and these are problems that I think uh, have a knock on effect into um, in our society as well and we're looking at um, the rise in knife crime across the country and I, I, I don't see anything trying to uh, counter that and I just think that through education and through offering alternative means of education, because a lot of the people that are caught up in knife crime, and again, I speak from experience of working with people, both victims and uh, and, uh, the people who've uh, done the attack, that they are failed in, in some ways by the education system so it's huge it's not gonna affect and again like you were saying in terms of education as an adult I was big to my, my wife last night and she had a sense of guilt that she wanted to learn more stuff and I said well I said that's a brilliant thing so that's that's the best thing in the world that you want to learn but she does feel because like she's knocking on 40 but we won't put that in the podcast I mean you can but I'll be in trouble <laughs> <laughs> um but she felt she felt guilty about it like, I should I, like I shouldn't be learning new things at this age I said that's the most beautiful thing because you know you should always wanting to grow and explore anything even if for self-worth as well as mm. certificates because that's by and large you know and
1: do you think adults do feel selfish if they um, selfish with their time if they try and well, pick up something new later in life or? well
2: possibly but I have to say challenger and push back on that because that is not generally the experience and we're drawing on the cooperative way of doing learning. And, you know, right from it all began in Rochdale, Hill. You know, it was adults who did a full day's work, then went and met above the yep. shop or, and met in the reading room. And they were doing learning, not just about making a great business, so they ran, you know, a great enterprise, but also what they then called those days, sound really old fashioned, was the cooperative character, you know, so that they had good values, good ethics, they related to each other and they ran good communities. And they were citizens. And when you think about some of the issues you're talking about now, it's exactly the same new ways of 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 doing work running a business and new ways of being a citizen Mm. because a lot of stuff's broken down yeah so you know i I do think it's it it is quite hard for adults to find the time but these are the big issues they've got to work with we know what they all are whether it be climate change or you know the automation or whatever it is and how do we actually encourage people to learn you know that they feel okay spending time learning yeah definitely
1: Okay, so you both have ideas as to how we can fix this, but before we come to that, tell us what you do on a day-to-day basis.
3: So my day-to-day basis, I, I can work in anything from a, a prison to a young offenders to a, to a mainstream school. Uh, I still struggle, due to my own education, to refer to myself as a poet because that always seemed as a, you had to be middle class or you had to do a certain thing for you know to, to, to be awarded, that you had to be, you know I felt very undeserving and I still sort of have that imposter syndrome now. So four years ago, I got fed up of being artistic at home or creative, and to to an extent, feeling embarrassed by it. And I thought, you know what? Where's all this built up from? And it stemmed from school. I mean, I think I remember having one teacher that was quite encouraging, but aside from that, they were they were building like battery hands that were going working in factories or on the roads. Um, and which you know, I'm not I'm not making negative connotations about them jobs. You know what I mean? But that 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 was what we were sort of. Being skilled for poet uh, wasn't one of the yeah, oh, things that you were being poet, pushed. I mean, it, the, pushed the, into. The, the fact the fact was that when I I told my friends that I was going into poetry and stuff, the the responses were exactly how I expected: shock, disbelief. My sexuality was questioned because they'd been built up that you had to be gay to be a poet or artist or creative. Wow. And, and but these, these are my peers that grew up in an education system that that so so that that stems from there. Do you know what I mean? I, they're not prejudiced in any way, but that's the that that's what they're understanding of a poet was so four years ago i got on my high horse and i thought you know what I was, i'm sick to death of this i'm doing it for myself because what will happen is years later i might go the root of van Gogh. i'll keep both my ears so i might be dead and you know <laughs> i might, might, might get a bit of fame if someone finds my, my poetry but i just wanted to put myself out there where um, did your
1: interest in it come from if you weren't exposed to it you know by your teachers by people in your family how did you find poetry
3: for me i got into through music through either hip-hop lyrics, any sort of... I'm, I'm, I'm a big Smiths fan. But yeah, so just just through lyrics, but they weren't taught as being poetry, but I mean, you strip them down, they are, right? Especially the Smiths lyrics, they are, they're hu- hugely poetical. Absolutely. So it was, a, it was a huge... For me, it was a huge unlearning in terms of what school had taught me, what I can and can't achieve, but also what what poetry is and stuff. And then obviously you, you look into Mancunian icons, like Salford icons, like John Cooper Clark, who was a poet, but also the people like Snoop Dogg and Eminem and all that. Because I've been writing hip-hop for, for ages, but I never thought I was... Cool enough to be a rapper. So then I took that and started working in the school system. I was invited for, you like coming to, to talk to our kids? And I did. I went. I went into one school, but I was unsure about what I'm going to talk about. So I was just talking about. I don't want you to turn into me 20 years later. Poetry can be anything or anywhere. And I do a my main one is um from storm from Shakespeare to Stormzy, and we sort of break down how Stormzy could be a modern day modern day Shakespeare or Shakespeare could be an old the first rapper and stuff like that. And it's just really eye-opening, and the teachers as well that, that welcome in because they have to stick to a real curriculum and structure in terms of what they can teach. Now, I wanted to be a teacher. I still have passions to go in and be a mainstream teacher. But I think that I will be doing a disservice because I'll be adding to the problem, whereas now I'm not saying I'm superhero, but I actually offer something different to the kids who aren't academic or don't know what stanzas or iambic pentameters are. But the people that I talk to are... Uh, the from an urban background or a neglected area, they have the best stories to tell. And it's not for it's not, the, the creativity that I try to get out of them is more for their self because if you haven't got any sort of outlet, outlet where does that go? And again, we'll talk about the, the, the scale of the problem. <sighs> If you're knocking children's confidences at the age of 14 and 15, we have a huge surge in mental health over the last few years. And that's because people are told that they aren't any good at a certain thing. But if we could open a door way to say, okay, so you're not that great at maths and science, but you've shown some sort of ability, interest into something else. Well, why not we do that? I've had had like um, life sentence prisoners Quoting Hamlet, do you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's it's fantastic just to see them sort of look at it from a new point of uh, a, a new point of view.
1: Yeah, I suppose I'm thinking of people like John Cooper Clark Simon Armitage, who's now Simon Armitage's fantastic. He's worked a lot in prisons. As yeah, well. but I guess those people are they've been you know they're part of the establishment now aren't they they've been canonized but it's finding someone like you say stormzy who means something to young people today yeah yeah.
3: exactly but i was liking it to fishing because i was walking and i never say i've done anything music or i've worked with the i've worked man united quite a lot so that that might get you some kudos with the kids but i I go in purposely oh he's a poet and then you see the faces on the kids and then i start doing some of my poetry and like what that's not poets. rap music so what's the difference
1: can we hear some
3: well, now you put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Uh, as, as we're talking about um, education, so I grew up in 1980s Manchester, and I am mixed race, but I wasn't unaware at the time, but I wasn't predominantly white and I wasn't predominantly black. So the teacher christened me Beige Boy. So this is Beige Boy. Where are you from? Around here, I reply. Nah, mate, where are you from? Your people, your relations. An unanswerable question soon becomes an unanswered accusation. Cause you're not white and you're not black you're sort of brownish and here i go again, scratching that three decade itch beige boy the schoolyard blasts from the past baptized by a teacher with a label that lasts well kids kelly's white and nathan's black and dave well dave sort of beige beige boy was born but as i got older the queries got colder i didn't fit into a box so i became something of a molder a cultural chameleon crafting a character for the constant craving of wanting an equal. A vulture picking at parts I found interesting from different races of people from black rap to Irish crack. I jumped through hoops, I clung, I grasped for a group to belong to. But it was always a laugh, a joke, a snigger. Bigots using skin tones for leverage to make themselves bigger. But I wonder, can someone who was raceless be a victim of racists? I questioned my aunties and uncles and wondered why they were several shades paler until it came out that daddy's real daddy was an absent father. He was a sailor, a history all at sea, but it's true. The iPhone don't fall too far from the iPad because my identity struggles are the same as my dad, my beige sister, my beige brother. And then I met a beige lady who became a beige lover, who became a beige mother to three beautiful beige babies. And who knows in the future that beige may be the shade of skin that we all be. So whenever I meet someone with the roots question in their eye, I say it's me, my beige skin and I.
1: Oh, wow. Thank Mm -hmm. you very much. What really surprises me is that there's so much discussion around identity politics. And we think that we've come so far, don't we? You know, you describe how people described you in the 80s and that's really shocking now. So we think we've come a long way. But actually, young people are still struggling to identify themselves and to expressed who they are.
3: Yeah we don't encourage individuality especially in the education system you have to tick 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 GCSEs and stuff. Okay
1: well thank you very much. Uh, Scylla you are principal of the cooperative college what exactly is that? Before I say what it is I must just
2: say that um, I'm a working class woman who left school at 15 and went to a factory and then through my trade union went to education so what you've described there and that fantastic thing you did there was r- really amazing. But it reminded me of why it, it, there's a lot of adults out there struggling as well, as you appreciate. Of course. And, you know, so my particular interest was adult education, whether and that tended either to be through unions or out in communities or you know doing that sort of thing before I came to the college and I just think sometimes it was people didn't have an education because they went straight into work went straight into manual work you didn't need an education Um, so then people have come out of that and you know so there's that gap there in terms of belonging and identity you know it's 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 very complicated right through the, the ages anyway I digress I mean the cooperative college is an extraordinary thing it's 100 years old It's an independent educational charity. It sort of came out of the 19th century cooperative movement. But when it was founded in 1919, it aimed to do two things. One, as I've sort of suggested, was servicing the needs of what was then, you know, a massive, massive, massive co-op movement. 51% of all shops were co-ops in the 1950s. Right through to, you know, developing international work and working with, you know, all sorts of different types of partners Accredited, non-accredited work. Did you know you used, used to have to spend two years doing on, on a course to learn how to run a co-op shop? Okay. Two years. Uh, so that's what it came out of. But my day-to-day job now is doing two things really: working with my colleagues to deliver a, a range of different things, right from international projects where we work with teams, so it's not a sort of top-down colonial sort of thing, <laughs> uh, but is you know working with teams on the ground around democracy and women's leadership in co-ops. There's over a billion people in the world so training
1: people who are already doing jobs yeah
2: who are already in co-ops but you know working with them especially women in in many cases about how they they sort of develop their empowerment within such co-ops you know because as you'll know you know a lot of the the poor of the world are in bits of co-ops you know which are just about how they manage to scratch a living but equally at the other end and it's quite unusual sometimes you're in a room full of doctors from brazil and they're all in a workers co-op think, hang on. And they're the wealthy of <laughs> Brazil. So it's not you know, so that so you've got these these really diverse things that come out of your international work. We've also got a, a number of, of and a growing number of UK projects. So there's some great projects taking place in Manchester. Around cooperatives, but much more broad. You know, it's not saying this is you need to start a cooperative this second or go and shop at the co-op, but actually just getting them to think about different ways of doing work, different ways of being. Working with groups all over the place on co-op research, but also, you know, just trying to develop the cooperative idea in these times. And I think that's really important. Well, I was going
1: to say, it sounds like you must have to change and adapt as needs develop within the cooperative movement. Is what you do very flexible and, totally and always flexible changing?
2: And totally benefits from disruption and totally benefits <laughs> from mayhem and especially cooperative learning because it's the best of the type of learning that does go on. In other words, it's about need. It's about identification of need. It can be self-organised, and then we work with it. It can be all sorts of different groupings who come together. At the same time, our support is to develop ideas around what does a values-based approach look like to something. And I, I just think it's really important and why it's really timely, not simply for the college, but for the, the global co-op movement, as you know, you know, what do you do in those areas where there's a real, you know, need for sort of collective, active, democratic citizenship, where it, it's all sort of broken down in a lot of our very poor places. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so and are you
1: going into these areas and presenting solutions?
2: Well, this is exactly what we're trying to do. And whether that be working with our colleagues at COPs UK and thinking about how you might build a, a different type of business model. So fundamentally, it's... About about trying to rethink what a democratic organization looks like and then thinking about how we how we do the learning around that because it's learning for all of us
1: yeah what you're both doing is understanding people where they're at isn't it and, exactly yeah um trying to give the voice in their experience
3: yeah that's fantastic work sounds amazing <laughs>
1: Amazing work, lots of challenges, as we've heard. And um, we're going to hear your big ideas as to how those challenges might be overcome very shortly. But first, uh, to see how the cooperative model actually works in practice in an educational setting, our producer Jeff Bird has been to visit some of the students at the Co-op Academy over in Leeds, and their head teacher Johnny Mitchell, who you may know from Educating
4: Yorkshire. I think being a co-op academy means different things to different people. For those of us on the inside, we see lots of co-op filtering down. You know, we are guided by a set of values which all cooperatives enjoy worldwide. The ways of being have been really helpful, instilling in the young people here and, and the adults that work in this environment that sense of commonality, that sense of belief.
0: For those people who don't know, the ways of being are what and, and how do they stand in relation to the values?
4: And I think the ways of being are about behaviours. The values are around... There's almost facts and cornerstones, isn't it? You know, but we've got you know, be yourself always, succeed together, do what matters most, uh, show you care. The things that I think sit very naturally in a school environment. These are four short clauses and phrases, if you like, that kids can really pick up and hang on to and say, Oh look, look, I showed that I cared there or I did what matters most. I, I made the right decision there and actually no, I didn't I didn't put my best effort into that and actually I wasn't I wasn't myself. So it's easy to understand, you know, explaining to a child about equity. It's difficult enough, I think, explaining to an adult what equity actually means. And, and democracy, because, you know, in a school, is it a democracy? Is a school? No, I'm afraid my name's over the door, and I suppose where the book stops, that's the decision that I have to make, and the same would apply in any other co-op academy. Not everybody has their say all the time. But in the, in the
0: period up to making those decisions, the children here perhaps have more of a stake in those conversations moving towards decisions.
4: Yeah, you know, we recently changed the structure of the school day. You know, we consulted with kids informally before we actually approached the staff and then before we went to the governors, before we went to the trust, uh, because if it was dead in the water from an early stage, then, you know, it probably would have been counterproductive. It was a decision that they were involved in, the staff were involved in. That's probably more likely here. And, I mean, the same applies with colleagues as well we we don't ask colleagues about everything because there's a management and leadership team here for a reason but staff are asked and actually what what I found over the last couple of years in particular is that they've they've maybe whinged and moaned about something but then they thought one of them stood up and said hang on a minute all right we've whinged and moaned which is human condition but actually unless we've got an idea to make the situation better we're just going to carry on whinging and moaning about it and we'll become those mood hoovers that everybody talks about in society these days and a few of them have come up with proposals. They've said, look, this is how we could help, and actually we are all in it together, cooperators. My
1: name is Horon
0: My name is Trevon. My name is Richie.
1: My name is Tristan.
0: How much freedom have you got to pursue your enthusiasms here? In this school, there's a lot of performing art, music, dance and drama. And we have a lot of freedom because there's a variety of subjects that we can choose from, which allows us to express ourselves.
1: I think we have a lot of freedom because, like, in lots of schools, like they don't take art as seriously as science, maths and um, English. And I feel like the teachers, they try to help us to do whatever we want to do.
0: This is a co-op. Academy. What does that mean to you? The word co-op, cooperative means together, and this school is very together. We worked hard together, and because it's a d- diverse school, um, everyone comes together to treat
2: everybody correctly. Also, it allows a lot of people to be accepting of other people. For example, people from the LGBTQ, we have a club for them which helps them if they have
1: any problems as to find The
4: kids you know, these wonderful kids that we get through the door because they are so very diverse and many of them, for example, don't speak English when they arrive or they've got limited literacy. There used to be the phrase, no child left behind, but no child not admitted if they're entitled to come here.
0: And once you've brought them in, how do you make sure they flourish and avoid the kind of cookie-cutter thing that sees all the children turn out pretty much
4: identical? We personalise as much as we can, you know, but what we mustn't do is lower the bar of expectation to such an extent that we're not giving him the opportunity to flourish because they're in competition with everybody else, aren't they? But in
0: that bid to make sure that they can compete when they leave, you're not going to press them all through the same narrow curriculum?
4: Yeah, it's pretty much hit the nail on the head with that. Uh, Children are not automatons. My role, and I see the role of my colleagues, is to make sure that a young person that arrives with us, we must do whatever we can to make them ready for their natural Logical next step, be that a skills-based provision or onto A levels and onto prestigious colleges, and they can get into the top universities. And more and more of them are doing it. In order to do that, though, we mustn't be sacrificing kids' ambitions, aspirations, enthusiasms, and passions. What's important is that if somebody is going to make a living in, for example, the performing arts, he's going to be a West End jobber or star. It's going to be a musician then we need to give them the opportunities to do that here.
1: The school's helped me to be more confident because when I came in Year 6, I was the most quietest person ever and the teachers helped me to do um, public speaking and they told me that everything's OK and they treat treated all the same.
3: This school helps us to, like, not be afraid to answer questions. So I'll be asking more questions in the future.
1: So that was our producer, Jeff Bird, over in Leeds at the Co-op Academy with their head teacher, Johnny Mitchell. Uh, Scylla, we heard about the co-op values there. How hard is it to actually turn those values, do you think, into everyday practice?
2: Well, it's quite hard. Because there are a set of values, whether they be, you know, democracy, equality, solidarity, whatever they are, self-help, which most people would sign up to. And, you know, you wouldn't normally disagree with them. But actually putting them into practice is the hard thing. So how, for example, do you make a piece of learning democratic? Well, in the school example, and the example i 'll give you in terms of the cooperative university, you actually really genuinely try to bring everybody 's views and ideas on board as you co make it. The international cooperative values and principles are the things that run us and keep us going, but we have to continuously reflect reflect on them and how we do make them work. One of the ways we we make them work is through the principles, because the values are simply a set of ideas. The principles are how you put them into practice. So as an example, you've got, you know, democracy, but uh, a principle is one member, one vote. So you're actually, you know, it's not just an empty word, but how do you do that so that power is equalised across an organisation? But you have to continuously... Not simply health check that, but also make them real because they're just otherwise they're just words. But I think what cooperatives try and do, at their best, and it is uneven. It, you know, be, and we all have to work at it, is you really try and test yourself on them, you know, so that you are
3: trying to live those values.
1: Can you see that in schools as well? It's a it's a challenge to um, um,
3: implement I, I, these things. And... When you, you were talking about them, I was like. That's the dream, really, to see to be able to see that in, the, in mainstream schools. But it's very this sort of old school, play on teacher is ruler and kids fall in line with it. But I, to talk about the fraction of kids that I tend to work with, that's like a new lease of life to put them in a room and to empower them to actually have a say in how a curriculum or a class or a piece of creative work is made. That that that's huge. That, that's a, that's a massive thing to do. When do you get a
1: sense when you go into schools that some have stronger core values than others? and
3: yeah, there's definitely it depends on like, and it tends to be the area as well. I hate assuming, but you can when I go to a certain area, you know, sort of know what sort of school you're going to be working with. To be honest, but in terms of the core values, I wouldn't be able to pull out any. I don't think. I, th- I think maybe the religious schools are a bit more obvious, but I think that's probably because of the path of the course. Okay,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but I would say I think that people do largely do have those values, and that they're what you've got to work with, aren't they? Yeah. You know, that, but sometimes because they're in particular environments and experiences. They don't have an opportunity to either use those or develop them or whatever it is
3: yeah and because i think teachers have they've got their own values but they're trying to apply to the values of what their job entails do you know what i mean or, or statistics that they need to get by the end of the year exam results and stuff so that so that would challenge anybody's values and stuff so but yeah when you, you were talking about the work there i was like that sounds fantastic i mean i'm not saying this at all just because we're a podcast because mm-hmm. but they it, it, it genuinely like it's something that's I'd not heard of before I was asked to come onto the podcast. And it's, well, I'm amazed it's 100 years it's been going. I'd, I'd still not heard of it. And I, I consider myself quite red nowadays, obviously not. <laughs> um, but that that's something like that exists as well. And it needs to be more commonly known and out in the areas that I go to. Like when you're talking about how do people start certain things about direction, it's not, there's just so many lost voices and lost lives in many ways just through the lack of education and um, it really upsets me because you can just sort of see when the kids are young and because they've not got certain opportunities in life and uh, time and time again I'm like I I leave schools and I feel quite heartbroken because you sort of see that Sorry, I am not expecting any of this. That um, their life is going to be, you know, the, the limited. And I think that's what we're doing. We're sort of, we're, we're capping abilities now. Isn't it? And, you know, that's, that's what we tend to be doing.
1: Well, it's interesting that Scylla said, you know, we have these values in here somewhere. And then you immediately said, that's the dream, you know. And the word dream already implies that we've been disconnected from what is central to us, what's core to us. And-
2: but the, th- the terrible tragedy is, as you know, there's been a massive, massive percentage of our population that's been failed forever. Yep. And that's what's so hard and so heartbreaking, you know. Even people's aspirations, and that's no different to when the pioneers were right. You know, the pioneers, they, when they set up in 1844, I don't want to be boring about it, but no, I'm they, fine. they didn't want to, it wasn't just about setting up a shop, it was responding to need because there was terrible poverty because people were being ripped off, because the being adulterated. They only sold six things in the shop. So it was about responding to need. And all I'm saying, and yeah. I'm agreeing with you, there's a massive proportion of people who've, They've, they've been systematically failed for an awfully long time. But and, we're still and, being
3: ripped off, aren't we? I think still, for education, uh, yeah. that's, that exactly. that's how it's
2: and, that edu- and education, you know, we have, we've had a slight blip where people like myself, frankly, were able to go to university. I was the first in my family, you know, and I got a full grant because I'm that age. But actually, now we're going back to a, a society where it's all about students getting into massive debt if they do manage or yeah. feel comfortable about going or and the local provisions disappeared. Well, thank goodness there's people like you going into schools and doing stuff like this because you Know it's really disappearing
1: and it's sh- it's shameful. Well, we have hope that's what this podcast <laughs> is about, I'm and the cooperative be, I'm gonna movements gonna will all be in tears <laughs> at this rate. I know. Um, there is hope because you have both come with a radical idea. Um, David, do you want to go
3: first? Well, after being enlightened by what the, the co op do, I think maybe that might be the solution. To it. it sounds planned, but it's not. It's that there needs to be an alternative for children that are academic rather than, than housing them. In um, port cabins for two years because they can't pass the maths GCSE. That doesn't mean that somebody it should be the end of somebody's education because education is more than Pythagoras. We need we need to offer not an, an alternative. There needs to be an alternative curriculum for these children to go be- before they end up on the ladder towards prison, like like, like I've, I've discussed earlier on. So that that that's why I think we need so producing
1: well-rounded human beings, focusing on the full person, I suppose, rather than just being able to do X, Y, and Z to pass an exam.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, what what is the point I mean, education? You're supposed to be like, you want people to be challenged. I think failure as well is a huge thing in schools is that they're not allowed to fail. I know this as an artist. Failure is the greatest thing that you can have and, and then coming back from failure as well. But what happens now is just, just confidence knocking all the time. Failure is a negative thing, a negative thing, a negative thing. And uh, another idea would be to offer alternative ways, youth, either youth centres or creative writing workshops in the evenings because... When I grew up, there was youth centres and stuff to go to, and, and, and there's none of that anymore, and they're very far and few between, and the ones that do exist, uh, there's that young identity in Manchester, they're hugely successful, and there's a reason behind that. So if, you're not, if you've just got a small part of Manchester that's, that's taking in these people that have interest in the arts and drama or writing, and it works there, why, why are we not branching out and having that model based elsewhere? That, that's the way I'd sort of like to see.
1: Okay, wonderful, thank you. Silla. your big idea?
3: my
2: big idea is the the future cooperative university which is in progress and which we plan will be delivering programs by the end of 2020 It's a big idea, but it's actually the the notion of a university has been around for a long time. But actually, although I'm not elitist about universities, if you unpack the word, it actually means learning. That's all it means. It doesn't mean hierarchy learning. It can mean kids learning. It can mean anybody learning. What we're trying to do with the cooperative university is to do something totally different in higher education, because higher education, in our view, is broken. It's broken in a number of ways. There's lots of great people working in there and lots of great ideas, but student debt is soaring. Uh, We've seen terrible um, examples of, in in our view, massively inflated pay packages for Vice-Chancellor. I make no apologies for doing this. You know, it is political. It's not party political. It's not partisan but also you know we've seen the breakdown of a lot of higher education we feel that it's lost touch with a lot of needs of what young people and any people want so what we're trying to do is set up a different type of university and it's, it's got three main differences uh, it hasn't got bricks and mortar, <laughs> so it, it's very flexible in the way it works. It's totally happy with people making so called mistakes in their learning because that's how you learn. It's actually part of a federation, so we're in the process of developing a number of higher education co ops right across the country offering different things. They're all constituted as co ops and doing different types of learning, whether that be degrees, traditional higher ed, right through from communities. So you might do an hour somewhere and 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 do that as part of cooperative learning but also when you get through to the degree and into this so-called cooperative university what's different about it is the way it's governed so it doesn't matter who you are within that university whether you do the teaching whether you do the learning whether you do the organizing whether you do the making the dinners whatever it is you're a member You are a part of that. Students and teaching. Yes, totally. And you you help to govern that university. So the model of governance, as you would expect in a co-op, is a cooperative model of governance. The way you do teaching and learning is very different, very much like the way you're talking about, but it's very co-produced. There's structures there because otherwise people would panic. But the point is, you come in and then you start thinking about how this relates to you, what you can bring to it based on your own experience, and so on. So it's a it's it's a very different way of doing the teaching and learning. And then finally, I mean, there are student fees, and people are going to have to borrow from the. Is student there a
1: physical, um, actual building location? Well, or- we,
2: we actually operate out of. The cooperative quarter which is holy oak house in manchester
1: and are you talking about learning new skills or more training around cooperative values so people can take those back to their jobs or both those things both. Or, like, they're learning both uh, you know
2: at the core of a lot of what we do and for example we're working very closely with You might have heard of the Preston model, what's going on in Preston, which is where they're sort of trying to develop a cooperative city. So we're working very closely with Preston about how we actually develop some formal learning in cooperative leadership and practice. Now, that can be somebody who works in a co-op but it can equally be somebody who works in a community who's working in a theatre group or a poetry group. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that you do that well and run that properly? So there are all sorts of formal courses, right from- Degree courses. Degree courses, but also ones around social movements, for example, which are more arts and creative. It's trying to capture that cooperative spirit. That's what it's doing. We're offering part-time courses, part-time degrees. You can do them over four years these days. If you sign up, you can get a divvy. So you get a divvy back, okay. as you would expect from a On good university. And and you know we're just trying to, and I think we're achieving this. We've got incredible interest. Nearly every day, there's something coming through.
1: And are they mostly adults who um, have jobs and who want flexible learning, or are you hoping to reach people from all different walks of life and it's, backgrounds? It's and in like, well, ages and well, the the, the the latter. But
2: most of the people who are getting in touch. They either have missed an opportunity for doing learning, but also it, there's cultural stuff in there as well, and that in, for us is equally important. It's about you know that values-based approach.
1: It sounds like both of you are talking about quite large-scale structural change, which seems perhaps overwhelming. How much sort of room is there to move in with these new ideas to the you know systems that we already have? And make an impact.
3: Uh, for for me, it's a it's, a, it's a money thing, isn't it? I suppose. And I don't, where do you get where do you get the money for for new uh, creative places in Manchester or across the country? For space, At, for, yeah. Well, yeah, for space. And uh, who, who funds that? I know. I know myself. I've tried to apply to Arts Council for funding for numerous projects. And again, that's just uh, every year. Again, I'm not being part political, but they get it's cuts and cuts upon cuts. So yeah, so financial probably the big, the biggest. And within
1: the school system as well, it's quite difficult to come in with what you're doing and take time, get the students to take time out from their curriculum programs. And yeah, I mean, uh, there's the, not much support for it.
3: No, in the schools now, it's I've noticed work over the last three three years, I've cut my fee of what I do when I go into schools year year upon year because of know the budget. And I've got lots of friends that are teachers, and um, I, I was never expensive in in any way, but you know I've got free kids <laughs> to pay, so it, it, it is a living. Um, but I go, I go out and do charity work more, more than actually doing mainstream schools now because they haven't got the budget to actually t- t- to bring people in
1: But often if you have a teacher who's on board does that make a big difference? Is it all about getting a head teacher or a teacher or just someone at the school who yeah. um, can support what you're doing and believes in it and...
3: Yeah, the, uh, the the teachers love it because I I, I think I said it before. I, is that I can offer a, a creativity that they're not allowed to offer in, as part of their curriculum.
1: Have you found though that by impacting one or two students in one school, that word is spread and and what you're doing is mushrooming? Is that can you see that happening?
3: Yeah, without getting egotistical, but yeah, it's amazing. Like once you once you got the kids on board and the just one or two, it, but it, the success rate is huge in terms of how how many people come on board because once you've spun it on its head, what what poetry could be. Within two, three minutes of them saying, "Oh, what, what do you mean? Rap music poetry?" That depends on scribbling, and my my job's done within five or ten minutes. I mean, I, I like to stay for the hour, but I could do. You, you know <laughs> what, 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 what? Once you've once you've told them and they're aware of it, it's like. But for me, another thing is another side of it is that what else can you question? Do you know what I mean? It, it, if poetry isn't what I've expected, like like all right, but what's literature? What's TV? <laughs> like like what's opportunities? What can I do? And you, once you start knocking down doors, and it's a confidence building thing, so you might not go in to be a poet. But once that once you're in that mindset about, all right, well I presume that that was that. But if I take that theory into something else and like you know But that's
2: what great education is. It's standing back and looking critically at it and say, Is it what it you know, what else can this thing be? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, you know, not being worried about the conventions of how you look at something or define something, but rip it up and play with it and do all
1: sorts of things, is it? Isn't yeah, it? Definitely. yeah, definitely. Yeah. And still with the university, Cooperative University, how much do you hope this will impact the system as a whole? Well,
2: it's, we're never going to be as big as a massive, massive university, and we don't want to be, although our, in some ways our ambitions are that big. I mean, the point is we are doing the formal thing of going through the Office for Students, and that means we'll have to go through the Quality Assurance Agency, and it means that, you know, at the end of it... We will come out, hopefully, with what are called probationary degree awarding powers. But our ambitions are large in terms of how we do things differently. But we're also very realistic. It's about leading by example. It what? is about leading by example, and and to have to be honest, it's about hopefully, like you're offering, you know, brilliant student experience. No, that's overused. But also really decent work for what is actually a very precarious sector. I mean, you know, people who work in education look like they earn a lot of money, but actually, it's a very precarious sector and, and cooperatives are committed to decent work and basically just trying to keep delivering and getting people thinking about different ways of doing the world, really,
1: which is what a co-op is. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you to both my guests today, Scylla Ross and David Scott, aka Arkid. Now, David, any chance of another bit of poetry before we sign off?
3: There is. I'm just trying to think about what more suitable one is because I have some blue (laughs) humour.
1: Clean as possible.
3: Uh, Clean as possible. Okay. Um, Okay, so this is about, uh, this poem is called Tearaways and this is about me growing up in Manchester. So on nights like this, I reminisce over you when the streetlights reflect on the pavements wet through. We were yesterday's strays hooked on girls and glue. Smoking weed, dropping speed, drinking special brew. We didn't have paper rounds, but wrapped paper around roaches. Told to get lost and found our stage coach, set the back, chatting crap, flicking, rolled bogeys. Stealing from Peter to pay, PJ Patel with our fake IDs, brothers. We raised hell a bunch of tearaways and spray ways, sharing great days and wrong nights in long sight, on push bikes, drinking white lights, but in hindsight, were we right? It's funny how nostalgia can light up your past but there's no way at that rate that those days would last. Our lives got split like they have been hit with an axe but I'm forever walking memory lane, man and it's hard not to laugh. Thank you.
1: To hear future episodes of More Than a Sharp subscribe to the podcast at morethanasharp.coop or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Shop is a collaboration between Cooperatives UK, The Co-op, Co-op News, The Co-operative College and The Co-operative Heritage Trust. The series is presented by me, Elizabeth Holker, and it's produced by Jeff Burke.